This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this April 5th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Jesperson here with John Hicks. In just a moment, economist... Blake Schaefer is going to join us. We're going to talk to National Post columnist Chris Selly today about the most disgusting story in the world, I think, or at least top five. Uh, it'll give you the heebie-jeebies, and we apologize in advance if you're eating your breakfast, lunch, or dinner when we start to talk about the Prime Minister's official residence in Canada, 24 Sussex Drive in Ottawa. You already know what I'm talking about, right? <clears throat> the fact that nobody can live there right now because it's full of mice and rats and they're not even alive anymore. They're dead in the walls. And I'm sorry to start the show like this, but hey, it's real talk. And then we're going to wrap up a conversation with Andrew Gregg, the filmmaker behind bug sex. And that's right. We're going to be talking about bugs having sex. Why should you care? Why does it matter? Well, believe it or not, experts say it's integral to the health, the survival of planet Earth that bugs continue to, you know, Get it on. And so we're going to go there today. Plus, my Jasper memories presented by Tourism Jasper. The, the big story, as mentioned, the one that I can't stop thinking about is the story that surfaced first reported by the National Post after they started doing some digging, requesting documents on the state of 24 Sussex Drive. This is this is the house, the home that prime ministers in Canada have resided in since the 1950s, but documents prepared by the National Capital Commission say that it's no longer habitable. Why? Because there's a, quote, important rodent infestation, an important rodent infestation. Now, there's a lot of important things on the desk of a Canadian prime minister, maybe even arguably more important than this, but the Trudeau family, since Justin was elected in 2015, have elected to live elsewhere uh, they're living in rideau college uh, cottage near rideau hall why well it's obvious the home that justin called home when he was a boy the son of pierre elliott trudeau who put a pool in at 24 sussex by the way he doesn't want to live there anymore there's there's no desire to relive those memories of walking the halls and residing and dining in the the dining quarters at 24 sussex drive and who can blame him Says the National Capital Commission report, the critical condition of the property is making it increasingly difficult to contain designated substances. That's a nice way of saying it's riddled with asbestos. They say it's impossible to eliminate any risk to users of the building on the property. Also considerable pest control issues. I mean, it's gotten to a point where it's absolutely disgusting. And this now an international embarrassment now, you know, if you've ever dealt with something like this at your home, and, and we have too, old sewer lines, old pipes or plumbing fixtures, maybe electrical problems, the longer you wait, the more it's going to cost to fix them. And of course, the higher the stakes as well. A report from the Auditor General's office back in 2008 pegged the cost of renovating the building at $10 million dollars. Now, Stephen Harper and his family were the were the last to live at 24 Sussex. Okay, so this would have been right around that time. The cost of renovating and repairing this building, restoring it to its former glory, 10 million dollars. Now, just over a decade later, 
Just a few years ago, the National Capital Commission said it was going to cost now $36.6 million to restore the building, the official residence, into what they described as good condition. That's, if you're paying attention, three and a half times the cost of what it was a decade earlier. And it's prompting a lot of people, including me, to suggest that it's probably time to just blow it up, just tear it down and start from scratch. You can't tell me you couldn't build a beautiful residence for the prime minister. And I know that the optics of this are tough, but you can't tell me you couldn't put something up for 15, 20 million dollars that would be appropriate for hosting state visits. Imagine the president of the United States, the German chancellor is visiting, perhaps presidents, prime ministers and dignitaries visiting from other parts of the world. We're going to bring him into areas that stink just a little bit less than the rest of the house and hope that they don't see mice scurrying along the bill, the, the uh, baseboards. I mean, is that really where we're at as a nation? I mean, what are the metaphors here? You start talking about rodents and politics. Obviously, metaphors abound, but I won't go there now. I'm talking more about the national or international reputation that this story is earning us. It's embarrassing. Just Google 24 Sussex Drive today and see who's reporting on it. It's not just us and CTV and the Globe and Mail. The Guardian's talking about it. BBC's talking about it. They're snickering about it in the United States where, of course, the White House is looking all right. This is something that's going to require investment from the Canadian people. But let me venture a guess on why no prime minister or why no government, for that matter, has dared venture into this territory. I can imagine that Stephen Harper would have had those nights where he's at his desk doing prime minister things, maybe dialing up an American president or perhaps writing some policy that would be made into law and saw those shadows in the background. If you've ever lived in an old heritage house or if you've ever camped out in the woods, one of those old cabins, you know what I'm talking about. Those shadows that, of course, you know exactly what they are. They're those mice. And if you see one, you know, there's a hundred more behind the walls. But you think Stephen Harper wanted to go to the Canadian people and tell them that his government was going to spend $35 million on his house? Of course he didn't. Because you'd get the political pot shots. You'd get the opposition taking a look and suggesting that Stephen Harper found that the pool house wasn't quite habitable enough. And so he was going to spend Canadians' hard-working dollars, the tax dollars that you work so hard to provide to the government for his personal comfort, his silk sheets and gold chandeliers. Of course, that's not the way it goes. But in politics, optics is everything But in this case, there needs to be a conversation about price versus a conversation about cost. And I get that Justin Trudeau doesn't want to do it either, especially with a pit bull and attack dog like Pierre Polyev on the other side of the aisle. But that's why this needs to be a conversation, a bipartisan conversation, a conversation across the aisle. Canadians en masse need to feel the embarrassment of the state of 24 Sussex Drive. And let me suggest that with federal budgets, uh, you know, into the nine figures, it's probably time to start talking about spending what we spend on golf balls and pens on the official residence for the prime minister. 
Let me know what you think about this. You can send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. You can hit us up using our official hashtag. Of course, you know that's Real Talk RJ. And don't forget, of course, Chris Selly, the columnist for the National Post, is going to join us in about 20 minutes for his take on this one as well. Blake Schaefer coming up in just a second. I mentioned our hashtag Real Talk RJ. You know by now, if you're a regular, that that's powered by our friends at Park Power. That's your friendly local utilities provider. And as we prepare to talk to Blake Schaefer about this rate cap disappearing in Alberta, it's going to cost Alberta households, especially those with low credit and small savings. Uh, quite a bit of money. It's a big deal. And we know that those costs are rising for you. Utilities, groceries, and everywhere else. <laughs> Why not spend a little less on your utilities by taking two seconds to compare rates at parkpower.ca and bring your business over to the business that has earned the loyalty of so many real talkers who have discovered the savings at Park Power. The, the uh, promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca is going to knock 50 bucks off your first bill for each of the utilities you go with. So if you go across the board, electricity, natural gas, and internet, using the promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca, that's $150 off your first bill. Unbelievable savings in weight from Park Power. Now, once you take your business to Park Power, if you're not already, it's a great time to start thinking about sustainable energy in your own footprint, at your own home. That's where Kubi Energy comes into the mix. Kubi Renewable Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. And it's not just residential, commercial, industrial, agricultural. You can see all the work that they're doing by checking out the projects link at kubienergy.ca. As you can see, the cleanest looking installs in Western Canada. It's no reason, no wonder they're the busiest installer out there. If you're watching on YouTube, check out what they did there in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. That looks unbelievable. You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. All right, let's get to this story. Albertans, uh, most especially households with those tighter incomes, and I know a lot of you are going to relate to that because that's kind of the vibe that people are feeling these days, are paying attention to a story that's been making news. This, as cash-strapped Albertans are looking at a $200 million liability. This is the cap on regulated rates that the government brought into the mix, of course, to, to try to deal with those rising electricity bills through the winter. This was a temporary cap on regulated rates to 13.5 cents per kilowatt hour between January and March, and any costs above that were set aside to be repaid later. Well, it's time to pay the piper. And according to a recent report, the three-month price cap came at a cost of $200 million. Hardly chump change. This is the type of story that our leadoff guest this morning pays close attention to. He's an assistant professor at the University of Calgary in economics and public policy and a good friend of the show. Pleasure to welcome back Blake Schaefer. Thanks for making time for us this morning, my man. How are you holding up? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, you want to chime in on 24 Sussex Drive and the rodent infestation before we go any further? Yeah, that doesn't sound like a place I'd want to hang out. Uh, <laughs> I liked your rant there. Yeah, well, I like having an economics prof on because maybe we can sort of start talking about delineating between price and cost. Uh, but we, we can always save that for another day. I know a lot of times government expenditures are so supercharged with regards to the optics. Why don't we get into this rate cap story? Because I think it's flying under some people's radar, but, but it's about to hit a couple families or maybe more than that right between the eyes. Yeah, yeah, sure. So 
like you said nicely at the outset, what the government did for January to March was they capped the rate that people who are on the the RRO, which is the regulated rate that floats monthly. So it's the default. If you don't choose a provider, it's what you get. Now, power prices were getting really, really high. They got up to about 34 cents. And so the government put in a cap, said you won't have to pay that. You'll pay 13 and a half cents. <laughs> but effectively, you'll pay it back over time. So it was really a deferral. The, the word cap came in, but really it was a deferral. But there was this weird twist about it where it wasn't just financing, say, you or I, you know, instead of paying 13, uh, 33 cents now, we'll spread that cost over two years, make it more manageable for your monthly budget. The weird twist is if, if you leave the RRO now, say come April, you don't, you aren't part of the pool paying it back. So it wasn't a deferral at the individual home level. It's now being, this cost is being spread on whoever remains. So similarly, you know, Ryan, if you if you had taken off to to Hawaii for three months, you know, good for you. Uh, and but we're on the RRO, and you come back, and you're still on the RRO, you're also on the hook for paying that back. So there's this weird mismatch between who benefited from the cap and who potentially is going to have to pay it back. Can we ask the question that that a lot of people, you know, numbers uh, for a lot of folks. Their head, you know, their eyes kind of roll back in their head. I'm among them. Spreadsheets make us nervous, but but we want just the straight talk. You know, was this good policy or was this poor policy? Was this politicking? Was it foresight? Was it a valid approach to it? What's your assessment as an economist? No, tricky question. That's a really tricky question. I don't think the design of the payback was well structured because now you have this potential death spiral, rate death spiral, where you know, if you can avoid paying back the cost of the cap, you're going to do that. So now you're going to have this added incentive and we're seeing it. There's all sorts of news stories coming out. All of the folks like Park Power and other competitive retailers, they're getting phone calls. People are exiting. What that means is if you shrink the number of people left on the RO, instead of adding about two and a half cents a kilowatt hour to pay back the cap, you know, once you get about half of them, now it's five cents. And you can see how that spirals down and down and down. So this end stage is really ill thought out in my view, because it runs the risk of really loading up a lot of costs on a dwindling number of people. And the horrible twist on this is the people that are most likely to remain are probably the poorest end of society because there's credit requirements to get on a fixed rate. There's also simply attention deficits. When you're running around trying to do a million things in your life, the last thing on your mind is going shopping for a better electricity rate. There's lots of studies showing that, you know, people at the poorest end of society are the ones least likely to go get a better rate because they simply don't have the time to spend uh, their effort on it. Uh, and so that's my big concern is that the the spiraling of these costs is going to get loaded up on the people who can least afford it in the end. I was talking to my buddy Savvy over the weekend. He lives in Boston and <clears throat> and he was telling me uh, that he flew for free uh, to get together for our golf weekend. I said, how'd you do that? He goes, well, I switch credit cards every six months. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I keep my eye out there for the best deals and the incentives. And I take my business over and I close that account. And I start a new account. And I just said, who has time to do that? I don't know how who has time to do that. And I guarantee you that if we asked a bunch of people right now, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence. I'm talking about myself, too. If you said, what, what, what rate are you paying on your mortgage right now? Or what rate are you paying? What, what's your natural gas or electricity? I don't know that most people would have any hot clue, to be honest with you. 
Absolutely. I mean, mortgages is a, a good comparison. So you do have to make that choice when you get a mortgage. Mm-hmm. You want to be on a variable rate, a fixed rate. That's such a big life decision that I, I would probably push back on a, your comment a little bit. People do tend to know whether they fixed or variable on a, on a mortgage. But electricity, it's, you know, it, it's a decent chunk of your monthly um, uh, expenditure, but it's not something you necessarily take into account. Also, we're pretty much the only province in Canada where this choice is available to you. So anybody coming from afar, they look at us funny when we say, oh, which rate did you choose? Which provider did you choose? So it's not something that we're generally accustomed to. And so I think for that whole host of reasons, you've got a lot of inattention when it comes to electricity rates. And that sort of, that's going to exacerbate the challenge here. Cause like your buddy who's shopping around for better rates, all those people are going to exit like right now. And I, I, I can, I'm hearing stories of that happening already and, you know, more power to them. They, they can do that. And that makes sense privately. But the problem, of course, is those that are left behind. And I'm really worried about the distribution of those people who are left behind because uh, not only are electricity prices staying high, the underlying prices, but the adder, the cost recovery of that cap is going to go up and up and up on them. So I'm, to me, I don't see a solution here for the government other than effectively writing off the loans they provided to the utilities for that $200 million. They're probably going to end up having to write it off um, because... Uh, otherwise, they're going to be loading up a few customers who can't afford it, which ultimately means everyone's going to be paying for this cap. So all of us on fixed rates are going to be paying the cap about a about a quarter of the province or a third of the province who had stayed on the regulated rate for those three months. You know what I'm thinking? If I'm a political strategist, I think that you can spin writing off those loans in a very positive way. I think you can say that the government at times when we were high on the hog, like right now, Uh, running a surplus, did what we had to do, investing in the very personal lives and the finances of Alberta families that were struggling and what opposition in its right mind is going to take runs at a government for helping families that are struggling at a time of record inflation. I don't think anybody's going to do it. I think it's politically possible to pull it off. I think you're right. It's kind of funny. They put themselves in that position and then they go and rescue themselves (laughs) and get another win there. Um, The alternative is a policy which they did enact, which is just lump sum rebates. And so, you know, offering, I think it was on a $50, some months was $100 back on your bill. To me, that's better policy because the problem with a cap, here, one of the problems is it was a cap that only benefited a third of the province. So two thirds of the province saying, what the heck, why am I paying for this cap when I was prudent and I went and got a a fixed rate? But You could argue that there was sort of inequalities that made it possible for some people to find a fixed rate. Blake. Um, But the other is on a cap is who benefits the most from capping electricity rates? It's large users of electricity, which tend to be the richest households. Mm. Uh, If you have an electric vehicle, for example, a cap is a great thing. You're a very large user of electricity. And so uh, offering caps has this funny thing where you're basically, it's a subsidy for richer people, larger homes. Um, whereas lump sum rebates, I like those because it doesn't distort the electricity decision, benefits everyone equally. It doesn't benefit just the larger users more. It doesn't discourage efficiency. Um, so if I, they had that policy, I would have just doubled down on that policy through Q1 saying, hey, prices are getting really expensive. We're going to increase those uh, those rebate checks by an extra $200 million. 
rather than this weird thing they're going through here, which is ultimately going to unravel probably into having to write it off. Yeah, no, I think you're bang on with that. Hey, hey Blake, I, I know you got to go in about five minutes, and I want to make sure I ask you about this. You, uh, I'm showing a headline right now on my screen. You tweeted about the the official pictures that were, were leaked, uh, not leaked, they were revealed uh, a few days ago uh, of this uh, Seagull EV, this electric vehicle that, that comes in under 12000 bucks. Uh, obviously, it's going to show it's demonstrating at least one thing, which is that the price of EVs is coming down. They're becoming more affordable. That's it's, it's more of a reality that a lot of Canadian families are at least considering. Do they go with an EV or do they continue to go with an internal combustion engine for their next vehicle purchase? Um, I know you've been doing some really interesting work taking a look on on how the grid uh, is mm. going to be able to handle an uptick in, in EVs. Can you take us into some of this research? And this is one of the biggest uh, ob- objections, as if you need me to tell you this. When you talk to people with EVs, they're saying the more and more people that are driving these things, the, the less and less able our grid's going to be able to accommodate it. What, what are you looking mm. into? Yeah, so I'm doing a lot of research with different utilities around the province, so Edmax and, and Fortis in particular. We're really focused on the timing of when people charge. So the total amount they're adding in terms of load or demand on the grid, that's actually manageable. And so I think people often focus on that. Well, we have enough energy to provide it. <clears throat> that actually is manageable. It, it'll obviously increase, but it's that's easily within the realm of possible. The challenge is if everybody wants to charge their EV right around the same time. So it's, it's literally the hourly timing of it. And it's all the way down to a local level. So if you and me, Ryan, live on the same street and Two of our other neighbors also have EVs and we have what they're called level two chargers in our garage, which is like a dryer plug. If we're all trying to charge at the same time, that can be problematic at the local distribution level, those wires running in our back alleys. So what we're trying to do is is spread out that charge in a way that we can use the distribution system that exists today, but take advantage of it in times when it's not fully utilized rather than having to go and spend a lot of money upgrading the distribution system. And so that's where all my effort is is going right now with a lot of research. So it's it's things like encouragement to shift people to off-peak. It's even going so far as something we call managed charging, which sounds a bit cringy, but we're effectively taking control of when you charge. So you simply say, look, I want to be charged up to full or 80% by 6 a.m. when I like to go to work. And we say, okay, we got this. So you come home, you plug in, and we effectively slot you in based on how your neighbors are charging. So it might sound a bit weird, uh, it might not be everyone's cup of, cup, cup of tea, so it certainly has to be optional. Uh, but it's really helpful and can save both people money. So they, in our pilots, they're getting a fair bit of money for allowing us to do this. It saves the grid a lot of money. And I think this is the future of what we're going to have to have for EVs. We're going to have some sort of smarter system to manage the charging. Because the alternative is just, you know, supersizing our distribution system. And that's going to be really costly. And everybody will pay for that, whether they have an EV or not. And so that won't go over well either. So this is a much better way to go about it. And we're testing out whether people are comfortable with it. I I like your opt-in points on that, the managed Mm -hmm. charging. I think it's important. You know what it reminds me of, Blake? Uh, It it reminds me of all all this controversy and i don't know if the note that it was that much i think it was a very 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 loud fringe 
but around the 15-minute cities or the 15-minute districts. You know, the the government's going to control who you can visit. The government's going to control where you can go. Government's going to control your finances. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. But if you start talking about the government's going to control when you can charge your car, what if you need to leave and you can't leave because you don't have juice? Someone's going to say, I've never been controlled when I can pump diesel into my dually. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And and we do get some of that feedback when we go to folks, no doubt. And and that is what we're what we're looking to see is is you know what proportion of society is uh, finds this acceptable. What are ways in which it's more acceptable? But there's probably no doubt some folks listening to your call right now throwing stuff at my picture uh, because it does sound a little bit controlling. I, I should point out, you know, on, on your iPhone there, uh, they did this. Uh, I don't know. I probably pressed the button saying I agree to it. But if you notice when you when you go to bed at night, it says. Don't worry about it. Your iPhone will be optimally charged and ready by 4 a.m. So they're doing optimal charging. That's for the purpose of maximizing your battery life. We're doing optimized charging for the purpose of reducing costs on the grid. But it's the same thing of handing over control. Um, it's just, you know, that Apple sort of slipped it in without us knowing. Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, what comfort levels are for folks in terms of opting into the process. Blake Schaefer is an assistant professor in economics and public policy at the University of Calgary. And you can check out the great work that he's doing at blakeschaefer.ca. We'll have the link in the show notes for the podcast, as well as the YouTube episode. My man, it's always great to connect with you. Keep up the awesome work. It's good to know that it's going on. Thanks for sharing the expertise with us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. You can follow Blake on Twitter as well at BC Schaefer. Would you be willing to opt in? If you drove an EV and you could have the full confidence that it was going to be charged up by first thing in the morning, are you the type that, uh, I mean, a little bit like me, if I'm being honest, that if we're talking fuel gauges, I like to see it right at the top. I like to see it right at full and I like to have it there as soon as possible. Although if you told me that gas would be slowly trickled into my fuel pump overnight, full by the time I woke up and I'd pay a little bit less for it, well, then you'd catch my attention. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Uh, That conversation was presented by our friends at Friesen Brothers, who want to remind you, of course, that Easter is coming this weekend. And the Easter dinner box from Catering by Friesen Brothers is available to order online. Just check out cateringbyfriesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. Or, of course, you can visit your local Friesen Brothers store. There's 16 of them across the province. For this Easter, Catering by Friesen Brothers has prepared options so everybody can customize their Easter dinner. So you've got the main course dinner box that includes the traditional mountain park ham with the glaze. It's absolutely fantastic. you got the roasted garlic parmesan baby potatoes, that honey dill carrots dish that I'm always raving about. There's also a bunch of add-ons like granny stuffing and the sourdough hot cross buns and even coconut macaroon cookies or sourdough cinnamon buns. Woo! Easy to reheat, saves you doing all the work. You can spend more time with your loved ones. Just check out cateringbyfreezen.com. If all this talk about the grid and power and utilities is catching your attention, especially because this is your area of expertise, maybe you're a, a technician or an aspiring engineer, maybe you're a professional engineer with years of experience behind you, but quite frankly, you're looking for a change of pace. You're looking to shake things up. You're looking to go and work for somebody that'll value you as a person and a professional. Apex Automation values people over profits and they're hiring right now. Now they're based out of Edmonton, but they're doing work across North America, literally 
You can learn more about what they're doing by visiting their website, checking out the links at apexautomation.ca. You can see how they're providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry and giving people back their time. I was fascinated to hear about the work that they're doing with autonomous vehicles and machinery. It's changing agriculture. It's changing the energy business, having a huge impact in mining. If you're looking to prepare yourself for the future at a place where you can have a bright career path ahead of you, check out apexautomation.ca today. And if you're looking more on the home front to shake things up, maybe make an investment in your bedroom, maybe your living room, maybe your garage, we personally recommend that you request a free consultation with California Closets. They're doing amazing work providing custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. Make the most of your space, like my wife Carrie and I did, with their custom organizational systems. The work that they're doing with garages is especially cool in my mind. The storage cabinets, the workbenches. I mean, so many people just leave those garages to become, I don't know, dumping grounds. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's where all the shovels, rakes, bikes, recycling bags, stinky hockey gear goes, but it could be so much more. You could create that into a so-called third space where you might actually spend a little bit more time hanging out or at least you'd be able to find what you're looking for. If you're watching us on YouTube, check out these photos submitted by Real Talker Dustin. He took us up on the invitation for a free consultation for California Closets. They went with a Murphy bed installation in the spare room of their brand new home and they are thrilled. Dustin says that the entire installation took less than a day and ended up costing him less than he thought it would. You can find him online at californiaclosets.ca. All right. I know I just about made many of you puke off the top of the show with uh, the facts around the Prime Minister's official residence, though there's no way in hell Justin Trudeau's going to live there. 24 Sussex Drive is infested with rodents. Here's the thing. They say, don't worry, we've been using bait. We've been using the poison traps, and so it's not like they're running around everywhere. They're just all piled up dead in the walls. It's a scathing indictment on how the country has treated this official residence, but it's begging the question, where do we go from here? Chris Selly is a widely read columnist for the National Post, and he joins us now live. My man, it's nice to see your face. Thanks for making time for us. I liked your tweet yesterday. You figure it's time to knock this thing down. Uh, I've thought that for a long time, Um, finding out that the walls are full of dead rats, uh, as well as asbestos and dodgy wiring. (laughs) I mean, come on, like enough already. The the, the bill last time we got one from the National Capital Commission, I believe they wanted thirty six million dollars to fix to fix this house, which isn't really that historically significant other than the fact that uh, a few prime ministers have lived in it. It's not a pretty house. for $36 million, surely we could knock it down and build something uh, better than that. I mean, look at it. I'm looking at it. That's not a pretty house. 
Is it? <laughs> I mean, it's prettier than my house. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but it's not the White House. Uh, and, no. and, and the thing about the White, like you said this yourself, Chris, and, and, and to be honest, I mean, I don't know that the average Canadian realizes if this has only been the official residence of prime ministers since the 1950s. And the current prime minister isn't even living there anymore. So it's not like this thing was standing as we celebrated burning down the White House, the War of 1812. I mean, it's not exactly been this bastion of Canadian history for, for our entire entire history of 150 plus years it, it certainly hasn't i mean i i don't even know what you would say is most famous about it i, mean, I think princess diana went swimming there once i remember when on, on a state visit i mean but other than that you know i you know i'm sure many dignitaries over the years have have visited 24 Sussex Drive, but i couldn't tell you about anything that they did there like any sort of historic agreements or anything like that um you know it's it's just not even even if it were uh salvageable as a house it's not really that suited to be an official residence for a prime minister if you want to have official functions there and things like that so i i just think it it you know it's time surely at this point uh and 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 look god knows how much money they might spend tearing it down <laughs> so uh as a cost as a cost proposition i don't know how that would work out but surely it would be more efficient than trying to rebuild this thing can you imagine canada is 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 brokering a peace agreement or canada is going to host the signing of a major trade deal uh, canada is welcoming uh, the president of the united states or the german chancellor or whoever else and as they're all standing there or as they're dining on alberta beef and ontario wine a rat runs along the baseboard and the president sees it. I mean, can you imagine just the optics of this are brutal, but let's talk about the optics on the flip side. I said this off the top of the show today. I don't blame a conservative prime minister like Stephen Harper for not wanting to be the one to kickstart a $40 million overhaul of the official residence. I, I can't blame the, the prime minister currently uh, for wanting to hear what that effective attack dog, Pierre Poliev would have to say about spending 50 million on a new one. How do you manage this one politically? I mean, I think it's, it's certainly true that, that, well, it's certainly likely that there would be blowback along the lines of what you're saying, you know, including from Polyeva and the conservatives. On the other hand, I mean, we're replacing. We, we heard for years about how the prime ministers, uh, how the how the government airbuses that the the prime minister flies around on long longer trips are really decrepit, and you know. It, I've never actually been on one, um, but you know, when reporters fly, they have to string um, extension cords along the the floor of the plane to uh, so everyone can work on their laptops. But they replaced those a while back, and there wasn't really any fanfare, and you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, worth of Airbus jets, and that it was the same kind of principle. People said, "Oh, uh, you know, no one wants to be the prime minister who spends that money." Uh, and, and, and takes the heat for it, but they spent the money and it was barely a story at all. So I don't know. I, I think there would be some blowback, but I don't think, I, I think at this point, most people would see through that to the point that, that, that they, you know, people wouldn't, I don't think care that much. Um, especially, you know, walls full of dead rats. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's a milestone achievement for a house. And you would think that might be the, the, the point at which you say, you know, I mean, God knows what's going on. You know, it's asbestos plus dead rats. I mean, there's probably whole new viruses breeding inside this 
Well, Chris, like I know you've seen this already and people should check out nationalpost.com because there's been some great reporting and, and, and a great op-ed in there this morning as well by your colleague. Uh, and, and I should give a shout out uh, because I was reading it this morning. And, and again, I, I just about lost my breakfast uh, when I was reading Sabrina Maddow's uh, piece. But but she's talking about it's it's presented as a hypothetical, but not exactly. I mean, just last week they're saying, though the prime minister doesn't live there, 24 Sussex hosting a garden party, uh, about 1,500 people were there, as you should should be able to do at the prime minister's official residence. They say there were tornado warnings in the area on that day. If a meteorological event would have occurred, human nature could have led to hundreds of guests rushing into this uninhabitable building, which is a risk we can't accept. In other words, if a tornado were to be touching down, I don't know why I'm laughing, but it's just so it's like it's 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 a feeling of dismay I have. And the guests at this garden party had to run inside. They would then be putting themselves at perhaps a greater risk for what they might be breathing in like we've gotten to this point I don't yeah know. I, i'm not sure i completely buy that that it would be a huge risk to go inside that house for about 10 minutes uh to shelter from a hurricane or a tornado <laughs> rather i mean there are the, the prime minister's uh, meals had been cooked there until november which is disgusting so it's, clearly, it's clearly yeah yeah that's not a very appetizing prospect either is it but i mean it's clearly habitable to some extent or was uh, before we discovered the rats. Um, yeah, I mean, I, my favorite detail in uh, our story was how uh, the National Capital Commission was was uh, said, um, oh, you know, there was this uh, wiring problem and, and wiring started arcing. And if the staff hadn't been there when it happened, it could have, you know, the whole place could have burnt down. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> they should have let it happen. <laughs> Seriously. The staff Wait, should is, have is honestly. This a, is this an option? Put their like, shoes on and got the hell out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you probably want to issue a biohazard warning. I don't know what happens if you set fire to asbestos and dead rats. Probably nothing good, but at least the house would be gone. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple real talkers that are participating in the live stream right now, but they're letting us know in the chat that they've got the show on mute because they can't handle this conversation right now. <laughs> I don't blame people. The visuals are, are hitting me hard. I don't know a lot about building houses, Chris, but I suspect that you could knock one down and build a beautiful new one for $20 million or less. You can't tell me that you can't. I mean... I, I mean, I remember looking at that a while back and thinking, yes, 30, well, 36 million is the last price tag. And I think that's a few years old. Um, but and that's, trying to, pro- that's trying to prop up the old one, right? That's trying exactly. to rehab the old no, one. No, no. Right? And that's what I mean is that yeah. if, if you were to take that parcel of money, I, I have to believe you could build something pretty spectacular um, for, for that money. Now you have to buy it. You know, where are you going to put it? Are you going to put it on the same piece of land? I don't know. That, that becomes another, another question. Yeah. But I think at this point, it, it, I don't think the Canadian people uh, to whom this thing belongs, after all, are really are going to object. Uh, look at that picture is even less attractive. It's, it's just it's just a big hulk. <laughs> Tear it down. <laughs> Tear it down. I agree with you, pal. Hey, Matt, it's nice to connect with you. Uh, I, I read everything you write, and you're a great follow on Twitter as well, at C Sally. Look forward to the next time you join us here on Real Talk. Thanks for making time. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. That's Chris Sally does a great job as a columnist with the National Post. I love this idea from Tom in our live chat, who quite right, quite rightfully points out, he says, you know, they should build the prime minister's official residence in Alberta. We don't have any rats. We're so proud of it, aren't we? Uh, Justin says, Sully's being very generous to the conservatives. This would absolutely be something that they would go after Trudeau for. And I think that you're right. But I don't know that that's limited to just the conservatives. 
I think that, honestly, politicians en masse would have a field day with this regardless of the validity of their complaint. And that's why I think we've gotten to this point. I mean, I think that this needs to be, like I said off the top of the show, almost an indictment on how politicians handle issues like this. Because what do they want? Job security and power. And so, of course, the conservatives don't want to renovate the house when they're living in there because it looks bad to their base. And, of course, the liberals don't want to because it feeds into the whole narrative around the Laurentian elites, right? And now we're left with an absolute disaster on our hands. This isn't something where you say that the house looks a little worn down. It looks a little beat up. It needs a facelift. We're talking rats and electricity fires. And we're talking about asbestos everywhere. And it's uh, an optical nightmare. Cheryl says the Canadian way is to tear down older character buildings to build something that, again, in 50 years, we can tear down and rebuild. And, And Cheryl, I don't disagree with you. I mean, look at how we treat sports arenas. If they're 40 years old, younger than me, we act as though they're decrepit and past their prime and we blow them up and spend a billion dollars to create new districts, right? Because we love shiny things. In this instance, I just think it's a bit of a different story. I just think that we're embarrassing ourselves. You know, Dennis wonders, how could it get so bad? You know, Lauren's making a good point. He says, you know, there are safety issues here. It's it's dangerous to first responders. What if there was a significant fire? And then Lauren lets us know he's a retired fire district chief. I happen to know. had a chance to meet Lauren in person at a new billion-dollar arena a while ago. He, He says, I would surround and drown. That's what firefighters do if they're not necessarily looking. If something's going to burn itself out, they make sure that the other buildings don't burn down around it. Lauren, I don't mind that. Uh, others say a 50s dwelling is not a climate sustainable building a modern net zero building this from uh mr moffitt says would demonstrate our commitment to saving the environment look at that what an opportunity right what an opportunity to send a message i mean when's the last time that a that a global leader has a residence built present day i mean i can't say that i've been following all the stories on this but i don't remember seeing anything recently It would be a way to send a real message. Maybe Kubi Energy could do the solar installs. Who knows? You know who could do the landscaping on it? Uh Uh-huh. I'm going there. Eden Landscaping. I mean, heck, they've been bringing outdoor spaces to life for more than 20 years. As a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. I wonder if Mike and his team would travel to Ottawa to do the PM's new residence. I think they probably would. I think they may go with the stunning stonework feature. Maybe that landscape style. You can check out what the install looked like in Sherwood Park that they did at landscapeedmonton.ca. Of course, you know they wouldn't just take a template from one project and apply it to another. They're all about designing the perfect fit for you. And some of you may already have a vision of what that looks like. You may have your landscape plan already all sketched out. It just needs that expert touch others of you may not even know where to start either scenario works with eden landscaping the free consult off the top gives you an idea of what they're capable of and then the brainstorming begins they render it into a 3d design and then the work starts and they're going to be going shovels in the ground soon tis the season 
Don't be left on the outside looking in. Eden Landscaping's busy. Not too busy, though, to take a look at your dream project. You can make contact with them today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also wanted to remind you about what we're feeding our dogs these days. Our dear Black Lab Monroe turned four years old yesterday. We're so in love with her, and she's looking better than ever because she and our boxer Moses are eating Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. We have seen major health benefits since we switched our pups off kibble to quality raw food from Grand Dog Essentials. And we recommend that you look into doing the same. And it's not just dogs either. If you go to the shop now link at granddog.ca, you can also see what they have for cats. Now, cats' diets are a little different than dogs' diets. You can check out their blog post to learn a little bit more about the nuances. And then, of course, you can place your order at granddog.ca for delivery to your door in Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first-time bill from Grand Dog Essentials. And how can we possibly talk about asbestos and disasters without reminding you about Complete Care Restoration? I mean, this is their wheelhouse. Can you imagine being in a position where you have to manage a project like 24 Sussex Drive? This team does stuff like that every day. Whether it's mold and asbestos removal, whether it's a devastating flood or fire damage, Complete Care Restoration has the team that can take the job from start to finish without headache. We trusted them with our studio renovation, and we recommend you trust them with your biggest investment. You can visit them online today at completecarerestoration.ca or give them a call at 780-454-0776. We're about to hit you here. How much do you know about bug sex life? I mean, how much do you know about crickets and butterflies and spiders reproducing? Like if your kid asked you, Mommy, Daddy, how do wasps have babies? Would you have any idea, let alone be able to explain it? Well, a new documentary out on CBC Gem streaming service goes exactly there. That's right. Bug sex has just premiered on the nature of things. And what a pleasure to welcome the writer and director of that project, Andrew Gregg, to the show. Andrew, it's amazing to have you here. Thank you for joining us. How did bugs sex lives get on your radar? <laughs> it's been on my radar. You should see my emails and if there was transcripts of my phone calls with uh oh, yeah. my colleagues um yeah i could probably go to jail um <laughs> what what happened was uh, i was working on another documentary um uh, about four years ago with dr Mediana andrade uh from university of toronto scarborough she's a, a evolutionary biologist from um university of toronto scarborough and she did her phd on the cannibalistic sex practices of black widow spiders and when we finished that previous film, I said, so what do you want to do next? And she said, how about bug sex? And that's one of those titles. Like, it's like snakes on a plane or um, that. What's that new one? Cocaine bear. Cocaine bear. That you know yes. exactly what it's about when you see the title and you don't you don't get that very often. So um, we were 
delayed by COVID and then we jumped in in the spring and it was on, uh, it premiered two weeks ago, but it's still running on CBC Gem. Yeah, congratulations. Um, and very cool to have it on the streaming service so people can check it out whenever they want. And I know a bunch of people will check it out right after hearing this interview. I have so <laughs> many questions. Uh, and so bear with me. I, I, I watched the film and I've, I've just made notes. My notes look actually pretty hilarious if I'm being honest with you. But why don't, why don't we start with spiders? Why don't we why don't we start with that, that idea of, of, of the males ending up dead and and maybe what you learned about the the Black Widow, whose legacy is invoked often in in pop culture references and elsewhere. What what fascinated you uh, with the way that spiders reproduce? Well, I think in the in the past, you know, when you talk about a pop culture point of view, that if there's a particularly if it's a woman who's who's committed a crime or a murder, a lot of the time the press would have called her a Black Widow. You know, she mates, she kills. Um, and I think I think if people know about anything about um, the sort of the the violent side of bug sex, it's that uh, black widow females will can eat the male after the after the deed is done. Uh, similar to praying mantises or mantids, that um, the female will bite the head off the male when they're done. What's it's not as common as we think it is, um, but it does happen, and it happens for some of the most bizarre reasons. Um, sometimes it's the male's idea um they're a species of black widow called redbacks and the male we show it in the film does an actual somersault once the sex is done he somersaults into her fangs so so she can eat him and the point being the number one goal is to get his genes to move ahead one more generation right so he wants to impregnate her by allowing her to eat him it gives her a little bit more protein for the eggs and it also makes uh, the chances of her mating with another partner uh less likely so as mating ann says in the doc it's actually good for that male to allow himself to be eaten so that's that's a kind of a different way of looking at sex i'd say there's an uh, amazing point that's made in the film uh, and it re- it correlates to the rising number of women i'm talking about humans in stem in, in science and tech and engineering and math and mm-hmm. how that has inherently and for obvious reasons probably broadened the scientific understanding of how females regardless of species behave and operate uh, did that occur to you early in the filmmaking process no it occurred it happened while we were out making the doc i i i i, I had worked with several other uh, female scientists in different disciplines and it certainly is the case for anthropology and archaeology that women coming to those disciplines is, is relatively recent you know in large numbers um but we we really kind of Madian and i've talked about it a lot but it was really Ada eisenberg in uruguay when we filmed down there um she is a biologist who was working on this uh, species of wolf spider that live in the sand dunes along the ocean. And I don't know if you can hear that. We're getting a thunder and lightning storm here. So where are you right now, by the way? Toronto. Oh, nice. Yeah. We got a lot of weather coming through. Um, yeah. And uh, she noticed that, you know, when I just talked about the, the black widow spiders and it's the male that comes courting and the uh, will offer himself up to be cannibalized people that might just be joining the live stream right now uh you know the sort of the legacy of the black widow and how that's maybe not been earned fairly and all the fascinating things that you've learned as the writer and director of this new doc bug sex which people can stream on the cbc gem app i wanted to talk to you about a lot of the the combat that you see as well and i mean it's that's maybe i mean there are so many parallels and you don't even have to look that hard for them to humans and in sex but a lot of times the males are really competing for the attention of the females what was maybe one species in particular that that made a real impression on you 
Well, just down the highway from you in Jasper, you know, uh, around that area, mainly Hinton, but over towards, uh, we shot, uh, uh, there's a species of cricket there. It's called a monster haglid. Um, and uh, they're big, like they're, they're a good size of several centimeters. They look like they, they look like little samurai warriors. They, they look like they've got armor and they've got the loudest mating call of any bug in North America. It's, it actually, there they are. It actually, they just shriek. And um, what they do is a single male will get on a tree and he'll say, this is my tree. And he'll try to attract a female over to his tree with his call. At the same time, his call is warning uh, other males, get away, this tree's taken. If another male decides to try to take him on and take the tree away, that's when they fight. So, um, yeah, and they'll, they'll, they, it's generally over pretty quick, but they get into some pretty good spats. Um, and um, in this instance, we spent an awful lot of time in the lab waiting for the males and females to have sex, and they just never did. <laughs> so that's part of the problem of doing anything on bug sex or any animals, right? When you want them to do something, they're not going to do it, but they did fight. And uh, when you talk also about, uh parallel parallel uh activities human beings and bugs we went down to uh, delaware uh to a lab down there at the university of delaware where they're looking at fruit flies and they're trying to figure out whether fruit flies feel pleasure in, when they have sex so what they do is they put in front of them their two favorite things and this is where we get into the human comparison sex the chance at sex or booze uh fruit flies love fermented uh fruit and they do tend to get drunk if they try to have sex with a female and she rejects him the male he'll go get drunk what? if she if she accepts him uh he'll pick the sex over the booze so sex seems to be in terms of pleasure that seems to be the number one thing with booze coming in second huh I've got buddies that'll go sex over booze. I've got buddies that go booze over sex. I've got buddies that go booze because they can't get sex. I mean, yeah, it's 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 very very interesting. Hey, and they're not fruit flies. They're not fruit flies. No, no, they're not. They may be as fickle, pervasive, and annoying as some fruit flies from time to time. But but I digress. Just in case they hear me, I'd better stop. Hey, I'll come back to some of the the, the, the sexual behaviors that, that that your film so amazingly depicts and explains. But let me. Ask ask you like why this is so important in the first place you're not you're not just doing this to make people laugh i mean this is no, fascinating no, stuff we were we were that was part of the thing we had to watch out for everything from the title on to the script it is funny like you know we were given a lot of latitude to write jokes which was good you know but at, at the end of the day what it really about is about is evolution there are 10 quintillion bugs on earth and as uh, as dr suzuki has said you know if human beings were going to disappear from the earth tomorrow the earth would be fine if bugs disappeared, everything would fall apart. Um, they're the basis of all, you know, of, of animal life on Earth, and um, and within that world, there are so much, so much intense sexual competition that evolution just keeps coming up with new ways for them to do it, and and they're finding out more and more and more every year. And now back to what we were talking about before about how more women are coming into uh, biology to look at bug sex. They're also looking at it from a female point of view. Um, for years, it was a male dominated uh, science and they tended to, to think, you know, the males are always the showy uh, courtship bringer. They, they're like peacocks, right? With their feathers or lions with the mane. And um, 
they thought, well, it's the same in bug world. Why should we look at females? It's the males that are doing everything interesting. And now that all these women are coming into the into the science, they're discovering all sorts of new ways of doing it and uh, understand and seeing that women can or females can actually be the aggressive sex when it comes to bug sex. So it's opened up a kind of a whole new chapter that is absolutely bizarre and amazing. Did you, there are some interesting points in, in the film as well about like, what did you note about same sex behaviors in insects? We, we, you see it. I mean, when you talk to, to, you know, marine biologists, they see it. When you, when you take a look at people that have studied different primates, there's evidence of, of same sex inclinations or leanings or what did you determine when it came to bugs? Apparently, um, there's there hasn't been enough work done on it, but apparently in about 30% of situations, same-sex sex can occur, uh, regardless of the bug. Um, we got it from those monster haglids in Alberta. Um, they, uh, when the mating, after 10 hours, when the mating with the female wasn't going to work, two males started fighting, and then you could see the fighting actually turned into something else pretty quickly. Um, and we talked to the scientist, the guy that's doing his PhD and all this. And, and he goes, I don't know why they do it, but I want to know. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's going to be his, his next, uh, his postdoctoral work. You know, when does same sex occur? Because it certainly does. Yeah. What, what did your conversation look like with your animator? You've got some amazing animations <laughs> here. What, what did your uh, requests look like? We wanted to have hearts and we wanted it to be funny. And and the a lot of what we did uh, follow some music that we chose. Our composer, Bruce Fowler, did a real sort of 70s kind of almost send up of 70s porno slap bass music. Um, somebody, somebody had mentioned it to me. They thought that Barry White was on it at one point. Um, so we wanted to have that kind of the music and the animation actually go into sort of the attitude of the film. And we wanted them all to be really, really fun. I love it. Uh, well, this film, I mean, it, it takes viewers. It took you and your crew, obviously, to, you know, I mean, here here locally in Alberta, you visit Vancouver Island and Hawaii and, and Uruguay. Um, this is a bit of an unfair question to ask you, but but was there one thing in particular that you learned or, or one thing you observed? I love asking filmmakers this through the process that especially stuck with you. I think that when it comes back to evolution, the best example of, of how bug sex is linked to evolution was in Hawaii uh, with Dr. Marlene Zook from the University of Minnesota. And uh, she's an expert on crickets. There is an oceanic field cricket there, um, the species of oceanic field cricket on all the Hawaiian islands. And back in the 90s, she was on Oahu. And she noticed that all these crickets were out on the lawn at night, but there wasn't any noise. And anybody that spent a summer evening outside, you know, you, you hear crickets and there wasn't anything. And so she dissected one and out came all these maggots. Um, so it turned out what happened was when the cricket would rub his wings together to make his mating call, um, he was also attracting a parasitic fly that would dive bomb the male with a larvae and drop the larvae on the male's back. The larvae burrows in and kind of makes a zombie cricket. And as it grows inside, it's kind of controlling this cricket as it walks around and then the maggots burst out and turn into flies. So evolution stepped in and over the course of 20 years, which is really, or sorry, no, over the course of 20 generations of crickets, which is only about five years, they had a complete evolutionary change. Their wing structure changed, rendering them silent so the flies couldn't find them anymore. Wow. And this is almost evolution in real time. And um, it's now spreading to the other Hawaiian islands. We were on the big island and we found the first example of the mutation there. 
And of course, that raises a whole other problem. How do they find a mate? And scientists don't know that yet. There's still so much to figure out. And I, that's, that's going to be somebody's PhD. How do these oceanic, how do these silent crickets find mates? It's absolutely fascinating work, Andrew, and you and your team. Uh, I should mention co-producer Deborah Parks as well. Do yes. just an amazing job of telling Thank a story. So and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's 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 honestly to be with you. The, 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 the My attention span is very fickle these days. Unusual for me to sit down and watch something from start to finish. Yeah, uh, but that was that was the case here. And uh, and I recommend uh, that every one of our audience members that hears this or that sees this on YouTube, go check it out. They need the CBC Gem streaming app. They can uh, check out as well. CBC.ca slash nature of things or just Google bug sex you never know what might come up on that search though we've been hanging out with yes, writer careful. and director andrew greg hey before I we let you, you go i can tell you from experience careful with the googling yeah i was gonna say uh <laughs> i've i've had times through my career where i'm preparing for an interview and i think man uh if CSIS or the rcmp are looking at my search history right now i'm going to be, have some explaining to do uh what yeah, do you, if, if if traumatics if if traumatic insemination ever pops up turn your computer off uh, turn your computer off right away uh <laughs> what's next for you how, how how do you follow up to bug sex? Oh, uh, we're, we had to turn it around pretty quick. So we're not, we're not set yet. Okay. Um, we're actually looking from the very early stages of a completely different project, looking at um, uh, the, uh, something for the 80th anniversary of D-Day next year. Oh, very cool. Well, I would yeah. love for you to, uh, to come back and talk to us about it if you'd accept. Oh yeah. We've got a great story. We've got a, it, it's, it's a great story. Um, okay. We've got the last surviving Juno beach vet who's going over for one last time. He's 98. He's going to Holland in May for one last time. Wow. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll look forward to that. We'll do, we'll do the stuff behind the scenes to, to make sure that the, uh, the invitation materializes. Thanks for making time for us, Andrew. And thanks for nice signing pleasure. back in after the storm. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks. Yeah, you got Talk it. You That's uh, filmmaker, Andrew Gregg. You can follow him on Twitter. Just follow the links. You know, we, uh, tag all of our guests that are on Twitter every morning from our official account at Real Talk RJ. You can give us a follow. We're also on TikTok and Instagram. And uh, John Hicks, the producer of the show, is absolutely killing it on our Instagram reels and our TikTok yesterday. A job very well done. I like how you wrapped it up with oh, Charles you. Adler at the end. Charles Adler at the end says it's not just about the porn star. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking for context. Something well, I never wanted Charles to say, but I had to hear him say it. He did have to say it yesterday. No, every Wednesday we head out to the mountains. It's uh, a tradition that we call My Jasper Memories. It's courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. And sometimes we're celebrating the, the natural beauty that lies in wait. We take a look at the rich cultural history of Jasper, beginning with the area's first peoples and, of course, all the way to present day, the millions of people that pass through Jasper National Park every year. And, of course, sometimes we talk to you about the events that are out there drawing those visitors to the park. And that's what we want to do in this week's edition. Are you a runner? I mean, if so, you know there's nothing like the fresh mountain air filling your lungs as you make your way through Jasper's beautiful paved roads and natural trails. Uh, coming up soon, April 29th, is the Jasper Canadian Rockies Half Marathon. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting there going, half marathon. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, here's the great news. You don't have to be up for 21K right off the bat. They've got the 5K. They've got the 10K. Of course, they have the half, but they also have the family fun run, too. 
This is a great opportunity for you to get the family or friends together and, well, do something that you've always wanted to do in a part of the world that maybe you've always wanted to visit. If you register by April 10th at jaspercanadianrockieshalf.ca, and if you didn't catch that, it'll be in the show notes, you've got a short sleeve running shirt coming to you. You get a finisher medal at the finish line, no matter what your time is. And then there are awards in the top three for each 10-year age group of the 21K, the 10, and the 5. There's chip timing with live event updates for the fans that are watching. It also helps you track your progress. There's professional traffic control. There's draw prizes, race snacks. There's even a charitable donation you can feel great about. Uh, you still have time to train for the race. right? As mentioned, this is April 29th. And if you're more of a biker, there's the Grand Fondo Jasper just a few days later as well. This is Canada's only Fondo to take part in a national park. The views of the mountain, unbelievable. A course passing by a beautiful series of lakes. You're barely going to notice the burning in your legs. You can go to, again, jaspercanadianrockieshalf.ca and see your friends, new and old, out on April 29th. Also coming up in just a short time, as a matter of fact, just over a week from now, is the Jasper Pride Party. It's Dungeons and Drag. That's next Saturday. That's April 15th. There's even rock and roll bingo, poetry readings, line dancing workshops, pride trivia nights, and more. And of course, it all runs parallel to the Fork and Spoon Food Fest, which happens all festival long. If you go to jasperpride.ca, you can learn more, check out the event schedule, and make your plan to visit Jasper Pride. You'll find all the details in the show notes right here on the YouTube episode or on the podcast. My Jasper Memories is presented by our wonderful friends at Tourism Jasper every Wednesday right here at Real Talk. Uh, you may wonder where my Donald Trump commentary is this morning. Uh, we covered it yesterday. Uh, this is a story that will continue. I mean, the Coles notes you already know. He pleaded not guilty yesterday in person in New York to 34 uh, charges uh, relating to alleged payments for sexual encounters with uh, two women, uh, Stormy Daniels and, and, and a, a Playboy model, uh, who uh, basically uh, this scenario, no different than any other time that Donald Trump has found himself in hot water. He's using a mirror to uh, try to reflect or deflect the heat coming at him. And yesterday, you probably know this already, taking big swipes at the prosecutor, taking big swipes at the location of this. He wants to be tried in Staten Island, which is traditionally more conservative. And even yesterday, taking big swipes at the judge uh, presiding over uh, yesterday's proceedings. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, then went back to his Mar-a-Lago home, uh, for a live streamed statement and a big shout out to Rachel Maddow from MSNBC, who was among those national broadcasters who simply said, we're not covering it. She said it shouldn't be the role of any media outlet to cover what we know is just going to be a lie laden. Basically spewing. This is not her words. I shouldn't do this to her. That's not what she said. She said it much more professionally, but. They didn't even take it. Now, you can find it online, of course, and there will be plenty of time to talk about 
what Donald Trump is facing and the impact that it'll have on his presidential bid in 2024. What was very interesting is, though the prosecution wanted it, no gag order imposed by the judge for either party, which means that Donald Trump will still be able to comment on this, and you know he will, potentially against the advice of his lawyers. Charles Adler and I didn't necessarily see 100% eye-to-eye yesterday on whether or not Donald Trump will take the stand, but Chuck did make some great points. If you missed yesterday's episode on YouTube or podcast, you can find it in our archives. Another story that's in the hopper for us that we're paying attention to, but we're not going to make time for today. Uh, You probably saw that Loblaw's chairman, you know, Galen Weston of the Weston Grocery Fortune, uh, documents have surfaced showing that a, a consultant group that was hired by his family determined that he was being underpaid. And so Galen Weston, last year, receiving a $1.2 million raise, bringing his annual compensation to just under $12 million a year, uh, Loblaw's insisting that the profits uh, in their grocery business, just around 4%. But you ask the average Canadian whether or not they would believe that. Number one, considering past history, Loblaw's role in the price fixing, the bread pricing scheme, as well as, quite frankly, just what you're paying for groceries right? You might disagree. But that's a story that we're keeping an eye on for episodes to come. I did want to get to an email, and this is a really good one from a real talker by the name of Angry Adam, who, John, he heard us talking about TikTok yesterday. Mm-hmm. And you remember Alyssa, it was Alyssa, the, the real talker yesterday that made the comment that said that she, you know, she, she noted that more and more people in her orbit, uh, more people that she sees in her circle are going to you know, services, sites, social media platforms like TikTok to get their news. And I reminded you that we're on there at Real Talk RJ. And it prompted Angry Adam to write in. And I wanted to read this. He said, you know, I felt compelled to write in. It's talk at ryanjesperson.com, by the way, based on a comment that you read, Ryan, on Tuesday's episode of Real Talk regarding TikTok. And I, I feel like TikTok is a great media platform and it does have many wonderful qualities that are exceptionally useful but he says i implore people to take some time and seek to understand the potential dangers uh, that platforms like tiktok can present and especially if one is considering relying on a single specific platform for consuming news content adam says it can help people proceed with caution when interpreting what they consume online. You know, the entire TikTok problem and the reason why there's major concern is the algorithm behind it, who it was designed by, how it operates, and what that algorithm can potentially affect when it comes to its intended audience. There are many American-made platforms that do have problematic algorithms for sure, And they should not be omitted from this conversation, nor should the discussion of regulation or other closely regulated shortfalls and gaps that have been created through the rapid development of these technologies. But there is a good reason why TikTok is and should be the main focus of this discussion, at least for now. Angry Adam says, I would love to see a deep dive into the TikTok debate. Consider it done, Adam. We'll put it on our list. I think that's a great idea. We're always looking for things that are in front of you, catching your attention, maybe raising your ire, or at least prompting those red flags. On the flip side, what is it that's bringing your joy? What is it that's restoring your faith in humanity? We want to hear about that too, and you can always be in touch with us. You know where to find us. If nowhere else, it's easy to just click on the contact link on our website, ryanjesperson.com. 
tomorrow we will have our Real Talk Roundtable. It's falling on a Thursday this week uh, because, uh, of course, we're going to observe the Good Friday and Easter Monday stats. Here in Alberta, both of those are stats. That means there won't be episodes of Real Talk on Friday or Monday, so our Real Talk Roundtable will be coming to you tomorrow. That's presented, as always, by our good friends at Urban Timber Reclaimed Wood. And I'm here to talk to you about their boxcar collection in particular. Now, of course, you see in our studio, we've got this beautiful table. This was designed and built by Urban Timber. But if you're looking for something a little bit different than that, if you love those big planks, those heavy planks, I mean, these are for boardroom tables, family tables. They make amazing like side tables, end tables, coffee tables, and of course, shelving as well. The boxcar collection at Urban Timber is unbelievably beautiful. These are literally, literally planks that formed the floors of boxcars that rode the rails of Canadian railways for, in some circumstances, more than 100 years. I mean, these things have been banged around and scuffed and scratched and then beautifully restored, sanded down and covered with food-safe coverings so your family or maybe your colleagues at work can enjoy them for a hundred more. The boxcar countertop collection in particular can withstand wear, pressure, or damage like nothing else. Originally constructed with old growth oak and maple, these things were built to outlast anything. Your coffee mugs, your morning muffins, no problem. They've got the cargo countertops as well, the cargo collection. These are the ones that carry dry goods through Canada. These are ones that formed, in many circumstances, the floors of these big rigs, the highway hauler trailers. Now, these solid oak butcher blocks constructed to withstand hours of abuse from forklifts and pallet jacks. Your butcher knife is not going to harm these things one bit. Elevate your kitchen renovation to a whole new level with the masterful creations of the team at Urban Timber Reclaimed Wood and tomorrow's Real Talk Roundtable proudly presented by the team at Urban Timber. Also coming up tomorrow, Trash Talk, presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services, and you've still got time to submit your rant for consideration. What's driving you crazy? We want to hear it. To talk at ryanjesperson.com. Trash Talk, one of our favorite weekly traditions. It's presented by the team at local environmental services you can learn more about them including the careers that are available by visiting localenvironmental.ca you can also check out their locations including the greater edmonton area white court regina callahoo and landfills across the prairies when it comes to services provided by local environmental the list goes on and on and on. So if you're a business person, a small family-owned business, or maybe it's a big, huge hotel, mall, or other complex, why not get a free quote today from Local Environmental Services? You could save money. We'd go so far as to guarantee it with Local Environmental Services. And if there's a celebration in your future, can we recommend, if you're in our neck of the woods, that you leave it to the very capable team at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You'll find them in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. There's nothing like the layers of celebration that come with a DQ cake, where any occasion is a happy occasion. It's happiness however you want it with a DQ cake. Their famous soft serve with a fudgy, crunchy, chocolatey middle. It's the perfect way to celebrate any occasion. 
You can pick one up ready-made at participating stores or customize with a specific order. If you leave them 24 to 72 hours, you're guaranteed to get the cake you want at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. On Thursday's show, this is coming up tomorrow on Real Talk. It's going to be a tough conversation, but a necessary one. You come to this show looking for conversations that matter in areas that demand our attention. And one of those is mental health. We're going to talk to a podcaster who's releasing a new series, tough for him to talk about because he lost his son to suicide just two years ago. That conversation will happen right here in the Real Talk studio. We hope you'll join us. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.